Okay, Romans chapter 8, I've titled this part here, the focus in Romans chapter 8, the next part of it is on moving on from living in the flesh. Romans chapter 8. You know, there comes a time where you need to move out and, and get, your, get a new house, get a different house. Romans chapter 8, get another life. And uh, as we look at Romans chapter 8, I want to try to uh, just bring up the speed. I think I could preach through Romans chapter 8 every week for half a year. I don't think that we could fathom and, 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 and understand and enjoy everything that's in this in, in a month of Sundays. I think it is absolutely fantastic, and I just love having the chance to preach and teach these truths. Because as we go through Romans chapter 8, Paul is presenting the brightest truths ever written, and the best promises ever written, probably for the Christian. And it's written to the believer, and it settles so many important facts about salvation. It just settles it, like the fact that I am perfectly pardoned. Many a religion teaches that Jesus took care of most of my sins, but I got to take care of the rest. I actually had people say, well, Jesus took care of all my past sins, but I got to worry about my future sins. Really? All sins that Jesus died for in your life were future. So that doesn't work. So there are all these kind of misconceptions. The, the fact is Jesus pardoned me, past, present, future, lock, stock, and barrel. I am perfectly pardoned. He cannot renege on that. Second, uh, second great fact, if this thing would work, is that I can now, I can now mortify, which is a biblical word. It means to put off, or I'll show you, it means to destroy all the works of my flesh. Anything that used to bring me down, pull me back, um, uh, just govern and have dominion over my soul. Every time sin tempts me to rebel against God, I can put it off. I can actually walk away from it, whereas before I couldn't. Third great fact, and I'm only dealing with a few of them, uh, is I am eternally secure in Christ's grip. Before I was in sin's grip, before the devil had my life and he was pulling me down, now a greater power has my life and nothing can separate me from his grip. I am eternally secure in Christ's grip. And there are at least a dozen more great truths we're going to try to look at uh, as we go through Romans chapter 8. By way of review... In verse 1, it says, there is therefore, after going through 4, 5, 6, and 7 of these uh, chapters, 4, 5, 6, and 7, Paul concludes there is no condemnation. And I love those words because the thing that got me saved was an awareness that I was under condemnation. Most people don't read the Bible, don't uh, come to church, don't worry about death because they don't know how much trouble they are in with God. When you realize you are not just a sinner, but you are a condemned sinner, you are going to face the judge of all the earth. You're going to face the one being who has, who is right in every judgment. And when you stand before him without a mediator, without a savior, you are condemned and you will die and you will spend eternity in hell. That's a terrible message. That's only half. You see, if that's all there was, what was us? But that's the reality that we're in. And the truth is that there was a Savior, God himself, who became a man who can save you from that wrath and save you from condemnation so that the words could be written, there is no more condemnation. No eternal punishment for my sins. Yes, there'll be chastening. 
Yes, there will be correction, but there cannot in the life of a believer be eternal punishment. Jesus came to save sinners, amen? And we have passed from the condemnation of hell to eternal life. John 4, 25, uh, sorry, 5, 24, you don't have to go there. Let me just read it because we looked at it several weeks. John 5, 24 says, verily, verily, Jesus says, I say to you, he that heareth my word and believeth. If you, you don't have to work, you don't have to try, you don't have to perfect. It says, he that believeth on him that sent me. It's God's plan, not the church's, to save me. You believe on him that sent me, hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. So there is no condemnation. Let's read that whole verse here in verse one. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So there's no more eternal judgment. There really is, is there's no more condemnation. I can, I can uh, still sin and I cannot go to hell. When I do sin, I get in trouble with God like a child does with their parents. At least what child children used to get in trouble with their parents. I don't know if any kid get in trouble with their parents anymore. But I am chastened of the Lord, but I am not condemned. And it applies. Now, this promise, you want this promise, it only applies to somebody who's in church. Is that what it says? Those who are in the baptismal water, is that what it says? No, no, no. Them who are in Christ Jesus, those are Bible Words. That's a description of salvation. I used to live in sin. Somebody says, oh, they're in sin. Well, that's what everyone is until they're in Christ. Isn't that a wonderful change? That my life was, was as far as God was concerned, was I was in sin. I had a sinful nature. I had sinful desires. I had sins uh, uh, damning me. And God reached down and took me out of that state and put me in his son and said, now everything that Jesus Christ is, you are. He is a son of, is the son of God. I am a son of God. He died, I died. He was buried, rose again. I'm alive forevermore. He is now in heaven. As far as God's concerned, I am seated in heaven. All of a sudden, all the benefits of Jesus Christ are applied to the likes of sinners like me, just because we believed. Now, there's one more fact that Romans 8 says that these, this pardon applies to people who, by their new nature, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. This is a general fact. Christians, by nature now, walk after the what? We don't walk after the flesh anymore, not generally. We walk after the Spirit. Uh, real Christians are known for being spiritual men and spiritual women. They're not, you don't have a Christian murderer, do you? <laughs> You're known for, for wanting to, to uh, intervene and you, you want life and you're trying to save life. You have a, you have a different conscience about you. Uh, there's a spiritual awareness there. Real Christians are spiritually minded, obedient to the Holy Spirit and yielded to his will. That doesn't mean we're perfect. Don't get the idea that, uh, that we're not still attracted to, to the pull of sin, but I'm more attracted to the pull of the Holy Spirit. There's a pull from heaven one of these days. It's going to finally take good grip and bring me all the way home. Amen. I don't have to fly. <laughs> My mom is terrified of heights. She will not get on an airplane, but guess what? She is flying one day. Amen. God will take away all fear. She's going up because she's born again. So the old pull of this world 
doesn't have its grip on me anymore. And the truth is, still going in review, according to verse 2, 3, and 4, a Christian is now free to follow the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me, circle that word, free. Free from the law of sin and death. There was like the law of gravity. You step off of a tall building, what law takes over? <laughs> gravity, and you will die. So if I am living under the law of sin and death, I'm doomed. But again, Jesus Christ has freed me from that law, broke its grip, and now he has a grip, and he's giving me the law of life that's in him. Verse 3, for what the law could not do. You see, I'm keeping the law. <laughs> you can do it, and you ought to do it. Every person, I don't care if you're religious or not, you ought to do what God says because it's smart, it's healthy, <laughs> makes you live longer, but it also makes you realize you can't do it and that you need a Savior, but that's another story. But here, what the law could not do, and that it was weak through my flesh, I was the weak link in it, God sending his own son in the likeness of my sinful flesh, and he came for sin, he condemned. Instead of condemning me, what did God condemn? Hallelujah. You know, he should have condemned me, and I was under the condemnation of God, but God condemned sin, and he destroyed it on the cross. So, um, uh, I want to make sure, okay, verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh now, but after the Spirit. So, what a great thought, that a slave can follow a Savior to liberty and freedom from sin. Matthew one twenty one. do you know why? Jesus' name is Jesus. Jesus uh, God says to, an angel says to Joseph, says, I want you to call uh, that baby Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's the meaning of his name. So a slave can be free, can be at liberty, can have freedom from sins. Now the Holy Spirit, now this is the, the, the thing, the Holy Spirit never makes you follow God. That's what's the problem. I thought that once I got saved, I would not sin anymore. Anybody else think that? Yeah. But see, the Holy Spirit doesn't just come along and, and make me do right. I wish it would sometimes. But the Holy Spirit has made it so that I can follow God. Before, I tried and I failed. How many tried so that you never told a lie? And then all of a sudden, out it came. You never exaggerated, and yet there you were exaggerating. You tried never to lust, and yet your eyes would wander. And you'd say, I can't do it. You know, now you can. You see, the Holy Spirit makes it so that I can follow the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, if only we would. If only we would. And as we do follow the lead of the Holy Spirit, mark these words. The Bible promises that we will supernaturally fulfill all the righteousness of the law of God without our flesh being perfect. My flesh can sin, and yet I'm still living righteously because my heart's right. My soul is washed. My flesh does its own thing like a, like a dog running its own, doing its own business. And, and, but my soul is forgiven still. You understand that? So uh, we're still in review. Let me ask you three questions. Can a Christian follow their flesh? Do what the flesh wants. Do what my body wants. Do what my uh, past lust and desires. Of course we can. Uh, Christians shouldn't and don't have to, but we will at times do things the Holy Spirit would not want us to do. Would you agree with that? 
there are times that we're going to do things, say things, react in ways that the Holy Spirit does not want us to do that. So can a Christian follow their flesh? Yes. And people who think that they don't sin anymore are loopy because they're dishonest. Do Christians follow the lust of their flesh still? Think about it. Yes, Christians lie to get out of trouble. Christians steal to get things they can't afford. Christians lust for things they shouldn't have and hate people that Christ, that Christ died for. Those are Christians. They can even do worse things. Why? Because they still have that old nature there hanging around them, pulling at them. And that's why we need to treat our old habits and our old nature and our past as dead and gone. So third question, are there consequences to live in that way? And definitely yes. You see, now that I'm a Christian, I guess I can do anything I want. <laughs> no. That's stupidity, all right? Uh, that's why Paul takes the time to write about these things in chapter 6, 7, and especially 8. Let's look at some of the consequences. Verse 5. Verse 5, he goes on, For they that are after the flesh, think of a zombie, uh, just following after some slave owner, some master. It's called our, our old nature. For they that are after the flesh, what do they obey? What's on their mind? What takes over their life? The things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, they yearn, they lust for the things of the spirit. Their life is focused on the things of the spirit. Amen. We talked about what those were. Verse 6, for to be carnally minded is, ouch. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You know, some Christians just are in, 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 in depression and discouragement and and they have no way, they, they just can't sleep. They constantly just look at life as, as torment. You know why? Because the flesh has had so much control of their life. They don't even see it. They don't even know it. And they have no idea the Holy Spirit has life and peace there for them if they would declare that dead and gone. And then I'm going to follow the things of the Spirit. I'm going to walk as Christ walked. I'm going to think like Jesus thought. I'm going to react like Jesus reacted by the power of the Holy Spirit. My flesh will fail me when I try to do right, but my spirit will do it perfectly. I'll talk about that in just more in a moment. He goes on and he says this, to be carnally minded is life, is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace for seven because the carnal mind is enmity. You ought to circle that word, put next to it, warfare. Is conflict against God. Who's going to win if you argue and fight and resist God? Who's going to win? God. And yet we still fight him, don't we? <laughs> My flesh wants to just, just wants to do its own thing because a carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God. It is not going to submit. Neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Four things that come out of that thing. And uh, the first thing, the consequences, you'll become a slave again back to your flesh. Do Christians become slaves to their old natures and their old lusts and their old desires yes they do isn't that the worst kind of condition to live in can you imagine being washed and cleansed and then wanting to go back into the the sewer of the old life that you used to live and yet people do it you become a slave to your flesh paul says your flesh will kill you you mess around with sin if your wife doesn't kill you or if your boss doesn't kill you if your parents don't kill you god will Listen, your flesh is out to destroy you. A selfish, tantrum-throwing, 
Spoiled brat doesn't care what they destroy, do they? Especially seeing those three-year-olds in the back of a, of a trolley in the grocery store and they start grabbing for the cereal and start grabbing for the apples and start grabbing. They don't care what destruction they do. That's our flesh. And all the things that it messes with brings wrath, brings trouble, brings, tr uh, uh, man, God has to chasten me. And he may have to just say, it's finished. I can't fix you, Craig. And you die early. So your flesh will kill you. Um, third thing that he said there is you'll end up fighting God. I can't imagine a Christian who finally surrendered, submitted, repented, broken, empty, crying out to Jesus Christ to save them, and then later in their life shaking their fist, you're not going to tell me what to do. Isn't that a strange contradiction? And yet if you start following the old way, you start hanging around with the old friends, you start loving the old sins that you used to do, be very careful because they still have a flavor. They still have a pull. You say, oh, it shouldn't affect me. I wish it didn't. I wish it didn't. You know, people who drink, they still remember the taste. They may be sober for 30 years, but they still remember the taste of the alcohol. And they still think would be, mm, we wish that it didn't, but it does. And if you, if, 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 if you start going that way, you know what you'll do? And the Holy Spirit begins to tap you on the shoulder, says, don't do that. We will fight him and we'll shove him back. And we'll say, leave me alone. I want my sin. Is that how a Christian should be? Isn't that terrifying that you could get that way? You'll end up fighting God. Probably the worst is the fact that your, your life will not please God. You know, your flesh is never happy. A spoiled brat is never content. And your flesh, your body, your old nature just never will give up and just say, I'm satisfied with all that God has given me. No, no, no. Always want more and more and more things. And so few people care about making God happy. One of these days you're going to stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ. If you're saved, you're going to stand before God and you will regret Dozens of years of wasted life. And you will realize the Bible says that there are some people that God is ashamed of. And you have to decide on whether you're going to be on that side or whether you want to hear the Lord say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You see, that's more important than all the money, than all of the popularity. I don't care if you've got 2.2 million followers on TikTok. You better have one person that you worry about. That's God Almighty. Because at the end of your life, you ought to be able to say, God says, I am well pleased. You say, can a Christian forfeit pleasing God? Yes. It says, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So is that how you want your life to be seen by God? A wasted life of no value to the one who made you and designed you for his glory? Christians do it. They refuse to grow. They, they stay in sin, and many die early and miserable. Now, yeah, they're going to heaven. <laughs> but as somebody once said, by the skin of their teeth, and there's not much there. It's by the grace of God and just by simple. Again, I got saved by faith in Jesus Christ, not by me keeping good works. Remember that, okay? So, still in review, look at verse 9, 10, 11, but ye are not in the flesh. Isn't that good? Generally, I live now in a new apartment. 
I live in this thing called in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, this is a great revelation. You see, I didn't just pray a prayer. I just didn't talk to God in heaven. I invited him in. He lives in me and I'm in him. Watch this. But you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. So if I don't have the spirit of God, if I don't have the spirit of Christ in me, I am not born again. That's why the new birth is a spiritual birth. It's not a physical birth. I had somebody yesterday. When was I? Oh, on Friday, I was in town with Tony. And uh, this guy came up to me at a game of gospel track. And I forget how all the conversation went. He was kind of mocking and making fun. And um, uh, he, um, oh, what did he say? Uh, oh, I can't remember now. That's terrible. It'll come to me in the rest of my message. You know that right in the middle. It, it, uh, it, was a, it was an interesting thing, just how people think, um, you know, about getting saved. Oh, yeah. He says, so what do I got to do, preacher, to get into heaven? Because I said, this is how to know for sure. You go to heaven. What do I have to do? And I said, you got to be born again. Oh, I got to be reincarnated. <laughs> and I went, no. Oh, I got to go back to my mama. I says, you sound like another guy in the Bible named Nicodemus. And he just went, well, what is it, preacher? <laughs> and I went, glad you asked. And he says, he gave me a hug. And he says, not interested. And he walked away. He had heard the gospel before. But the point it is, funny how people get, it's a spiritual birth, isn't it? It's something that has to happen on the inside. And a Christian, when we get born again, we're no longer stuck in this flesh, in this old apartment, this old way of living. And if you don't have the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. I had a woman say to me one time, Pastor Ledbetter, oh, you're, you're, you're a pretty good preacher, but if you just had the spirit. I do. <laughs> No, no, I mean, if you just had the spirit. <laughs> I said, I do. <laughs> he just doesn't have all of me yet. He just doesn't run my life like he wants to. I have, God gave me the, if I don't have the spirit of God, I'm not saved. You understand? That's what saves me. You can come to church all day, every day for 20 hours a day. It doesn't save you. You can eat the, the Eucharist every day. All day will not save you. You must be born again by the Spirit of God. Amen. So he goes on. He says, verse 10, now if Christ be in you. Now again, Christ can't physically be in me. Huh. He was physically here on the earth. So how does he come and live in me by the Spirit? Again, there's a trinity. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. <laughs> when Christ wants to live in me, he comes in the form of the Holy Spirit, invisible, but he's there. Watch it. Uh, and, if, uh, uh, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is what? That's where your life is now because of righteousness. One of these lives is condemned and going to be destroyed one day. It will go to the grave. It will go and rot and be worm food. Amen. Unless you want to cremate somebody. Everybody's into cremation these days, which is weird. But this flesh, this rotting piece of flesh is condemned like an old condemned house. It's going to be knocked down one of these days and gone. So I'm in a new dwelling. I've moved on. And it says, um, that's where my life is because that's where righteousness is. Verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, just think about it. If he's really dwelling in you, 
He that raised up Christ from the dead, he's talking about physically, Christ's body after three days came back to life. If the, if the, uh, let me see, if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, not just in preacher, not in some very spiritual person, but in you, then he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken up your, that old condemned building that is going down and is going to be smashed and demolished and rot. It says that that same spirit that raised up Jesus is going to quicken, make alive your mortal bodies by that same spirit that dwelleth in you. I have the power of resurrection in me. You ever think of that? I mean, that means that no matter what I'm facing, I have the ability to face with it because I have the power of resurrection in me. He, the same spirit that's in me, in my spirit, is going to one of these days bring back to life my old body, but it won't be sinful anymore. Amen? He'll make everything new in his time. So, <clears throat> uh, we're not in the flesh now. We live in the spirit, don't we? What does that mean? We've been cut free from the control that our old life used to have on us. Our old man is dead in God's eyes and he needs to be dead in our eyes too. It's not where we live now. Example, a kid grows up in a broken home with yelling and pain and fear and anger. Amazingly, he's given a gospel tract one day and is witnessed to by a Christian who tells him he is a sinner and will die without hope, without God, but that he doesn't have to die that way. He can run to Jesus Christ and be born again. And that young man bows his head and cries out to Jesus to save his broken, lost soul, and Jesus saves him. Later, that young man goes off to Bible college and then gets married and starts a family. Should he then have a broken home with yelling and pain and fear and anger? No, he doesn't live there anymore. By the way, that young man is me. See, I grew up with that stuff. I don't have to keep it in the next, in my home now, amen? So that's the reality of I've been saved from that dominion, not from the presence of it yet, still affects me. So if you grew up with a drunken father or a depressed mother or a painful childhood, you're probably going to end, you're going to stay that way. Many, uh, uh, a young man grows up watching his father drink himself to death and the fight and the arguing. And he grows up, and says, I'll never drink. I'll never drink. And then he finds himself his father one day drinking. You ever notice that? Because it affects us. Then Jesus comes, amen. And you can put the drink down. You can walk free. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit does. So we live in the spirit now. We live in a spiritual realm. Go to Romans 14, 17. To the right, Romans 14 and verse 17. I don't live in a physical, fleshly one. I live in a realm called the kingdom of God. Romans 14, 17. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God, that's what we've been invited into, is not meat and drink. It's not physical. It's not entertaining. But it's righteousness and, get it, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. I mean, most people live for the physical blessings. They live what they can get. They live for the lotto or they live for the, the next job or whatever. You know, uh, uh, I live, I live, in the Holy Ghost, I, I don't care if there are two pennies to rub together in my life. I have a different life now that has righteousness and joy. And what's the last thing? Peace. And any of you who've ever not had peace and you found it, you wouldn't trade it for the world. 
So we live in the spirit now. We have the spirit of Christ living inside of us. Our body is dead in God's mind. And it needs to be dead in my mind. But this body one day, thankfully, <laughs> is going to be raised back up. It's absolutely breathtaking. Now, I love Romans chapter 8. Let's get to our message. That's all review. A Christian has, better have, moved on from the flesh. Let's read these next four verses or so, four or five verses. Verse 12, Romans 8, 4, uh, 8, 12, sorry. Romans 8, 12 and 13 says, Therefore, if we've learned all that, we ought to conclude, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. All right, so here's a house. And it has been condemned. It has boards over the windows. The roof is caving in. There is danger in there. There are rats in there. There are bats in there. There are bugs in there. You have, you, and you've moved out. Do you owe that condemned building your time to go and keep patching it up? Do you owe it anything or shouldn't you just move on? Shouldn't you be able to walk away and say, I'm glad to be out of that dump, amen? We owe our old life nothing. He says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh anymore. For if we live after the flesh, if I did move back into that old condemned house that's got the roof falling in and the walls are cracked and crumbling, what's going to happen to me? It'll probably fall in on me. It'll kill me. For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. Talking to who? Christians. You want to go messing around with sin? You want to go back to the old life? You knew stuff was wrong before, and you think you get away with it now? <laughs> Do you know God's a good heavenly father? He doesn't let his kids go off and just do whatever they want. He's not negligent. He actually knows what you're doing, and he will stay on you till you do right. And he will chasten you when you do wrong. That's our heavenly father. And he says there, verse 13, if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify. This is the thing. The word mortify means to destroy. If you through the spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, do destroy all the deeds of the body, you're going to live. If you could, the thing you need to do is just cast down every stone. Bring that house down so that you don't ever go back. We talk about burning bridges. Honestly, uh, uh, one of my friends, he's a missionary up at the top of Alaska. He's near the North Pole. <laughs> and they get sunlight about three months out of the year, man. And when he got saved, he was in the Navy, in the U.S. Navy, and he was a drug addict. He drunk himself under the table every weekend. And when he got saved, he got gloriously saved. He went to his CO, commanding officer, and he went, and uh, they, uh, who was a Christian, who would actually give him the gospel. And he went to that CO uh, privately and said, everybody that I know, all of my friends that I know are ungodly, and they all got drugs, and they all want to get a drink, and they all want me to go drinking. What do I do? And that commanding officer who's a Christian just said to him, he says, next time you get around all those friends, as a matter of fact, do this. We have... Uh, orientation. We got a bunch of new guys coming on board. We're going to introduce ourselves to everybody. When you get up there and you get a chance, I want you to tell them your name and the fact that you're a born again Christian and that you're going to be reading your Bible every Friday night. And anybody wants to come and study the Bible and have Christian fellowship, meet you at your bunk. And he did that. You know what all his old friends did? Whew, 
like bugs in the dark. And he had all of a sudden a whole bunch of new friends. He tore down the old house. You understand what I'm saying? He mortified what could have been a disaster. In the military, you can get drugs, man. You can find yourself in serious situations of sin. And he set a, a, a new pace. He was going to live for God, live in the spirit. So uh, uh, once a person gets born again, we don't owe our old life, our past life, our past sinful life, anything. You don't have to give it any attention. You don't have to give, give it any glory. When, when I got saved, uh, my youth director is a great guy. I don't find any fault with him, but he had some special speakers and our pastor. Uh, uh, well, we had some special speakers speak to the teens. There were 40 teenagers all gathered there. And these special speakers were football players, American football players. And they were famous in our minds. They were famous college uh, guys who maybe were popular or whatever. And they would come and speak about just the sins that they got into and how Christ had saved them. And now they're living for God. That was all fine. But you know what that happened to most of us? We said, wow, I wish I got saved like that. <laughs> they kind of gloried. Now, I don't think they did on purpose, but they kind of glorified that old life. And then we got saved. And okay, okay. Do you know what I want? I don't want to ever think of the old life anymore. I may have to give my testimony and say, but I don't want to go into the details, amen? You see, I don't owe that old life, not even the memory of it, anything. Amen. Some of you need to realize that. The old life gets triggered. The old memories get, get brought back again, and you need to mortify them. And we'll talk about this a little bit. You need to destroy them. They don't belong as a part of your life now. They helped you. You say, how'd they help you? I can't explain it, but God works all things together for good. So anyway, our flesh never did us any good at all. We have someone, the Holy Spirit, more powerful than it all in us now. Isn't that awesome? I just, I, I, uh, the Holy Spirit should have all of our attention. And we should want to be full of him instead of full of sin. Um, isn't it true in, um, uh, in Ephesians 5.18, it says, be not drunk with wine when it is excess, but be filled with that spirit that saved me. So, as I said, um, the deeds of the body. Now, we need to talk about this because I want to show you something. Look at uh, Colossians. We'll come back to Romans in a minute. Colossians chapter 3. In verse 18, Colossians 3, 18. Colossians 3, 18, I'm sorry, uh, 3, 5 to 8. I don't know I got 18. 3, 5 to 8. Paul describes the deeds of the body, the deeds of the flesh. Colossians 3, verse 5. Mortify, there's that word, destroy, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Look what he describes. I'm talking about destroying your finger, destroying your, destroying your eye. Destroy the lusts that are behind that thing. Watch it. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. He lists them, fornication uncleanness, that's your wicked thinking, unclean thoughts, filthy thoughts, inordinate affection, that's, that's unnatural affection. That's things that you find yourself loving that, man, you shouldn't love at all. Evil concupiscence, that's lust, and covetousness. You know, covetousness is still a sin to never be satisfied. 
which is idolatry, for which things, the uh, sake, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. All right, the world's in trouble with God because of those things are everywhere. Verse seven, in the which ye also walked sometime wherein ye lived in them. That's how we used to live. That's not how we should live now. But now ye also, you're a Christian. You need to put off these. You say, I don't fornicate anymore. I don't live with my girlfriend. I don't. Uh, I don't um, uh, have all these unnatural, ungodly loves. I don't get into all this stuff now. Good, but you need to put off. You need to mortify these things. What are they? Anger, wrath. Christians get into this. Malice. That's planning the destruction of someone. <laughs> Can a Christian be found doing that? Oh, I just love to get my hands on them. I would. Oh, I tear them from limb to limb. That's malice. Blasphemy, filthy communications out of your mouth. That's a normal sin these days. Lie not one to another, seeing that you've put off the old man with his deeds. Don't keep lying. And you have put on the new man. There's that new life that you've been given, which is renewed day after day in the knowledge, uh, in knowledge after the image of him that created that new man in you. I got so much to say, but I'm just going to say this. All of those sins can be replaced. Look at verse, go to, go to, whoo, go to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter four, back to the left. Ephesians chapter four and verse 22. Ephesians 4:22 that you put off Concerning the former conversation, the old man. The corner conversation is another word. It's got lots of meanings, but one of them is your lifestyle, okay? Put off the former life you used to live. That's called the old man, which is corrupt according to its deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind now. And that you put on the new man, going to have to do it every day, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore? Putting away lying, speak every man now truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry, okay, but sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the... Can, can Christians open the door for the devil to get into their home, to get into their thoughts, to get into their wallet? Can the devil do it? Of course, you can give place for the devil to come back in. Uh, verse 28, let him that stole... Steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth, become a giver. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Wait a minute, why would he command that? Because Christians still say things they shouldn't say. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Do you use your words to encourage or to tear down? The flesh will tear down everything on its way. The Spirit will always edify, encourage, that it may minister grace, kindness unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. I heard somebody say this. It blew me away. The word grieve only applies to somebody that loves you. And we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Wow. By going back into those sins. And it's not that he's beating us and saying, don't do that, don't do that, Craig, don't do that. No. He loves me. And when I go back into the sins, it grieves him. Look what it says. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you like a divorce. Put away from you with all malice. Get rid of it all. And now 
you can be kind one to another. Why? By the Holy Spirit of God, by the grace given unto you, grace for grace, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now, truth, the truth is the Holy Spirit will destroy every one of those habitual sins if you depend upon him to do it instead of your flesh. All can be destroyed if you rely on the Holy Spirit instead of relying on your own intelligence, your own Bible knowledge, in your own willpower, and you learn to yield. Now, that's a whole message we're going to deal with. But I want you to see it's there. Let me try to finish this up. Romans 8, 14. Romans 8, 14. There are four proofs of a new man. There are four ways to know you're saved, four truths that are already evident in your life if you are a new man. Romans 8, 14 to 16. Romans 8, 14. Thank you. <laughs> I'm melting up here. Romans 8, 14. Some of you ladies are as happy as Larry, but us men are, we're melting now. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. 15, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. I just threw in verse 17 just for fun. We'll just go to verse 16. But there are four proofs in those verses. Number one, you have a new pull on you. Um, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. We hear four proofs that you are a new creature. You have a new pull on you. Back there in verse um, 8, verse 14, it says, as many as are led. As many as are led by the Spirit of God. They're the sons of God. The Holy Spirit, one of the proofs that you're saved is there's a pull on you, pulling you a different way. Uh, give my example. My direction in life before I got saved and for the first couple of months after I got saved was I was going to be an aerospace engineer. I wanted to go on the space shuttle. I didn't find out my, I didn't know that my eyesight was so bad I would, I would never go. But that was my goal. That was my direction. Everybody in my family are, are lawyers, liars, lawyers, engineers, and uh, I don't know, all kinds of different things. And so I'm just going to be that. I'm just going to be an engineer, you know, so on and so forth. And then the Holy Spirit began to lead me a different way. That's a proof that a person saved that there's another, there's another life to live. I, I, I seem to not be interested in, in that career. I think something's happened to me. I'm not depressed about it, but something's more thrilling now. I, what does it mean to be a missionary was my quest. Like, where could I go? That was a thrill to me. That was because the Holy Spirit was leading. Now, I'm not your example. I want you to just see that that is an example of the Holy Spirit leading. And he does if you're saved. The Holy Spirit leads a Christian, speaks to you specifically about things, calls you to a different way of living, convicting you when you do the wrong things, trying to stop you from doing sinful things and trying to start you doing good things. That's the Holy Spirit. I never hear it because you're too busy, because you've got 47 distractions all day long. You have no quiet time. You never listen to the Bible like it's written to you. And of course, he's not going to scream at you. He's a gentleman. He waits for you to have a quiet time, probably when you're at the bottom and you have no energy and no 
nowhere else to look. And then the Holy Spirit will say, now can we talk? <laughs> you have that supernatural pull on you. Uh, oh, that you had a desire to hear his voice. Let him lead your steps. Let him, let him give you thoughts. I have had it happen. It just freaks me out every time. When I get with somebody and I start giving the gospel and they start asking questions, I can tell you a thousand times, I don't know, where all of a sudden I'll take them to the Bible and I'll show them something and they'll go, wow, thank you very much. And I'll go away saying, where'd that come from? I didn't know I knew that. That's the Holy Spirit at work, guiding and leading. David said this in Psalm 31.3. He said, for thou art my rock and my fortress, speaking to God. Therefore, for thy namesake, if you're my safety, for thy namesake, lead me and guide me. I want to know where you are. I want to know where the right places are so I'm not on a minefield and I'm constantly being hurt. Secondly, Paul says that the spirit of adoption is in you. So I have this pull on me. I have the spirit of adoption in me. It's an awareness that I'm adopted into the family of God. Wow. Do you read that in verse 15? He says, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but have received the spirit of adoption. What family were we in before we got saved? Jesus says in John 8, 44, you're your father, the devil. You're in the devil's family before you get saved. You may have been physically born to so-and-so and so-and-so, but spiritually you're under another dominion. You're under the devil's family. And the lusts of your father ye will do, Jesus said. Wow, he's not speaking to drunkards and murderers. He's speaking to the most religious people ever. He says, you're of your father, the devil. That's why you got to be born again. Because you got to change families. You've got to get adopted into God's family. Um, so none of us were born Christians. We were born separated from God because of sin. And then Jesus says, but I'll adopt you. I'll take you. The difference, and what's amazing, can you not understand that when he uses the word adoption is to show, yes, I'm born again, but many natural born children are unwanted. But if you go after a kid and you adopt them, it's because you want them. And the greatest revelation to me, maybe it'll work for you too, is to realize that God wanted me. He didn't just die for me. He wanted me. So he adopts me into his family. He says, third, he says, there is a heart cry of worship from you. Look in verse 15 again. He says, for you not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry not, oh, God, our father. No, Abba, father. Abba is that Middle Eastern word that just means daddy. And I'm telling you, my kids can call me daddy, okay? And it means everything to me. And when I talk to God, I use an intimate term. I just don't go father, which he is. He's my heavenly father. But until you get to the place where you talk like a child to his heavenly father, the perfect father, the loving father, the gracious father, the understanding father, the patient father, and you say, daddy, I'm struggling. Now you're learning to pray. Because that's in you. And if, it, if your prayers are dead, one of two reasons. One is you're inhibited, you're timid, and you won't just be honest. And the second one is you may be still lost and just religious. Religious people don't cry, Abba, Father. And then he says there is a comforter thrilling you. Verse 16 says the Spirit itself 
bears witness, confirms with our spirit that we are, not will be, but we are the children of God. So when did I get eternal life? When does a Christian get eternal life? When they die and they go to heaven? Most people think that. No, I got eternal life. I became a child of God the moment I got saved, and that happened to you too if you were saved. And it just thrills you. Um, John 14, so go to John 14, Romans chapter 8. Hold that and go to John chapter 14. Verse 16. John 14, 16, Jesus speaking. He says, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another. What kind of comfort would it have been to be around Jesus? You never would have lacked anything, would you? If you were with Jesus, I mean, storms, troubles, nothing fazed him. It would have been a great comfort to be around Jesus. And Jesus said, I'm going to pray, and God's going to give you another comforter. Keep reading. That he may abide with you for how long? Hallelujah. Jesus came and he left, didn't he? But the Holy Spirit doesn't leave. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Unsaved people don't, until they want to believe, they cannot receive him because it seeth him not. Everybody says, well, when I see God, I'll believe. When you see God, it'll be too late. He doesn't believe because he seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know the Father. For he dwelleth with you and shall, or no, Spirit, you know the Spirit. For he dwelleth with you right now and shall be where? Spirit is the comforter, will be in you, and I will not leave you comfortless. I, as the Spirit, will come in you, uh, come uh, and, uh, and I in you. That's why I'm not missing my verse. And I will come to you. Yes. So, um, goodness. Every Christian in this room can handle whatever the world throws at you. And that's not hype. Every Christian. Christians throughout history have been some of the most maligned, uh, uh, attacked, persecuted people on this planet. Because we don't fight back with physical arms. We don't raise arms and start wars. We allow ourselves to be slaughtered. When it comes to ourselves, we're pacifists. When it comes to our children, we're aggressive fighters. Amen. But when it comes to Christianity, Christians have, in the scores of millions throughout history, been massacred. But you know what? We're, we're not worried about that. Uh, whatever throws at us, whether it's cancer, whether it's uh, losing your job, whether it's your family falling apart, we can handle it, not because of our own abilities, but because we have the power of the resurrection in us that says it'll be fine. I'm going to work everything out for good. People are going to get saved through this. Just trust me. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, even the part that's scared. So all of those things are what the Holy Spirit is busy working at in every believer. He's pulling on you. He's, he's reminding you you're adopted and you're wanted. You are actively loving to pray. And I got to say this. If you don't want to learn to pray, I know prayer is hard. But if there's not something inside you, I need to pray. I need to have time, a quiet time with God. If that's not there, you got to start asking, is Jesus there? Because that cry is in you if you're saved. Come on. 
The Holy Spirit accomplishes all that very simply if you let him, well, I'll say this, if you will shut off all the distractions a little while every day, the curse of that stupid cell phone, every seven minutes, another distraction, another text, another notification, another war, um, another opportunity to buy into Bitcoin, another this and another that, all day long. And for some of you as kids, it's all night long too because you're waiting for your friends to text you. You're waiting to see what they're up to. It's a distraction until you turn that off and you get off the YouTubes and you get off the TV and you switch the radio off and you get on your face before God and you say, God, I don't know why I allow the whole world to have my attention when you're the only one that deserves it. And spend some time with him. Because all that joy that the Holy Spirit has, you'll never know until you shut some things off. I mean, that's how we live. Nita and I were at uh, uh, Mon Point on Friday. We're walking down there, and there's his husband, wife, and a teenage boy. And that teenage boy's like this the entire time as he's walking. That was him walking down. I wish I could have taken a picture of it, so I had to get one stock photo. I've seen people at Christmas. That's Christmas. <laughs> I mean, they don't know how to just be there. So shut off your distractions, and if you would just talk to God from the heart and see if Jesus is in you. Watch your Bible. Leave your place here. Let's go to one more scripture, 2 Corinthians 13. 2 Corinthians 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. Some of you ought to be scared to do this because you're afraid of what you might discover, but here's the truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, examine your pastor. Is that what it says? Examine your kids. Examine your husband. No, it doesn't say that. Examine yourselves. Whether you... Individually, but he's talking to everybody in Corinth. Whether ye be in the faith, prove it. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves. How that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be what? Fraud, faker, lost. Either Jesus Christ is in there or not, and you ought to be able to say, I know he's there. But if when you pray and you try to talk to God and it's just dark and it's empty, I would say you ought to be very afraid. You ought to say, I better get saved today <laughs> because it's that serious. You ought to know that Jesus Christ is in me. He's waiting. If I yield to him, I have every victory. When I yield to the flesh, I have only death. And I wanted, 43 years ago, I wanted to know life. I wanted to know God. And I've never looked back, never regret it. Yes, I've turned back. Yes, there's been temptations. Yes, there's been stupid decisions. Yes, there's been giving in to the flesh, going back to that old condemned life. But boy, is there a rush back when you realize what a stupid thing. I can't live there anymore. Amen? And then you can agree to let him be in charge of your life. It's called yield. Let him be Lord. Isn't that a wonderful word? Lord and Master. His disciples love to call him Lord. Let him be Lord, man. Stand with me and let's bow in prayer. Do yourself a favor. See if Jesus Christ is in you. You say, well, I go to this church. Well, I prayed this prayer. I, I, there are all kinds of good things you can do. Have you ever just humbled yourself and yielded and said, Christ Jesus, save me. And when he does, you know it.
You will know it and you'll know it and you'll know it. Because Jesus Christ is in you. You're living in the spirit now. That's your new life. You're a spiritual person. Your body is dead in God's mind. And it needs to be dead to you. He's going there. Jesus has made you a new person and the Holy Spirit. Hey, here's the truth. is not finished with you yet. I wonder what the Holy Spirit is able to do with you if you would just walk with him every day. I wonder what he could do with the likes of us. If he could take a fisherman and get him to preach and 3,000 and then 5,000 and the multitudes get saved and he could face uh, the, uh, the, um, the persecution of the Romans and stand up to all of the Jewish leaders. How did Jesus do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. What could he do with you and me? Father, I want to whet the appetite of every person in this room. Just with the words of scripture that we don't have to worry about our condemnation. We got to worry about just, man, walking away and living in the spirit. And if I would do that, if I would yield to the Holy Spirit in my life, man, all of the, all the past becomes past, and, and there's, a, there's a great thrill with your presence in my life. Things happen. I'm not going to be the most eloquent speaker. I'm not going to make all the money in the world, but I'll have victory. And I won't be so discouraged and defeated because Jesus is my victory, and the Holy Spirit is my strength, and the Bible is my truth, and my prayer time is my source of power and help. So make us not just spiritually minded, but spiritually living people now because of today's message. And if there's somebody who's looking in their heart and seeing nothing but darkness, seeing nothing but an ache and a hole, mm, all right, I don't know how else to say it, but I pray that they finally own up and say, you know what? I've tried it to get saved, but I've never let Jesus save me. I've never just surrendered and said, please save a wretch like me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And then trust that he does because the Bible says so. And Lord, I pray that, it, 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 that as a pastor, that there would be nobody in here who would doubt if they're saved or not. That they would know that they know that Jesus lives within and that that would be their life. Christ in me, the hope of glory. So bless us. We've learned these truths. Bless our homes for it. In Jesus' name, amen.